Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I am so happy that you are joining me here today. Well, for this episode of the podcast, we have such a treat. We are getting to talk to Missy Andrews from the Center for Lit. Now, a lot of you may be like me. You're more familiar with Adam Andrews because you've heard him speak about literature on kind of the homeschool convention circuit over the past few years, and you know What a dynamic speaker he is. Well, ever since the Center for Lit started their podcast last year, we've all got to become a little more familiar with Missy and the wonderful voice that she is bringing as a homeschool mom and literature lover to the literature conversation here in the homeschooling world. So sit back and enjoy today as we get to chat with Missy Andrews about what her family's homeschool is like and the great love of literature that they have. We'll get on with the podcast right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast is brought to you by Maestro Classics. Do you want to bring classical music into your children's lives? You can add music to your homeschool curriculum today with Maestro Classics. These award-winning CDs and MP3s feature storytellers Yadu and Jim Weiss, accompanied by the world-famous London Philharmonic Orchestra. Choose from a dozen titles, including Peter and the Wolf, The Nutcracker, and our family's favorite, The Story of Swan Lake. What makes Maestro Classic CDs so special is that each CD and MP3 contain a 24-page activity book with illustrations, puzzles, games, and fun facts for kids. You can even download free curriculum guides that combine classical music with science, math, geography, and other subjects. All CDs and MP3 sets include tracks, which explain to your children how the music was made, who the composer was, the history and story behind the music, the instruments used by the orchestra, and most importantly, how to open your ears and really listen. Listening is a learned art, and Maestro Classics guarantees that these recordings will explain and develop listening skills in your children. Visit maestroclassics.com for free shipping on all CDs and MP3s. They start at just $9.98. As a Homeschool Snapshots listener, you can receive 17% off your order by using the coupon code PAM at checkout. Go to www.maestroclassics.com. That's maestro, spelled M-A-E-S-T-R-O, classics.com, where the best classical music curriculum awaits your homeschool. Missy Andrews is a mother of six grown or almost grown children, and she has homeschooled all of them. Alongside her husband, Adam, Missy directs the Center for Lit, a resource for families seeking to read, understand, and enjoy great literature. She is also one of the co-hosts of the Center for Lit podcast, which you can find on iTunes. Missy is the co-author of Teaching the Classics, and she has used that program as well as the other offerings at Center for Lit to equip parents to ask thoughtful questions and engage in meaningful conversations with their kids about classic books. Missy, welcome to the program. Thank you. Well, we are just so glad that you are joining us here today. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about your family? 
Sure, I'd love to. I have six children and I'm married to my husband, Adam. We just celebrated our 25th anniversary a couple weeks back. And let's see, my kids range in age from 24, our oldest is 24, and married down to 15. And so we still have several that are home, two that I'm still homeschooling, two that have graduated from college, and two that are still in college at the present. That's our family just in a little snapshot. (laughs) Right. And how did you guys get started homeschooling? And we started homeschooling from the start. And a little story, I myself was not homeschooled. My mother and father were both public school educators. And I went to the public school until I attended Hillsdale College, which is a private liberal arts school back in Michigan. And when my husband and I were engaged and we were talking about things like how many children did we think we might want to have in the future and how would we want to raise them and things like that in preparation for marriage, he mentioned that he would really like to homeschool his children. And I think I said something to the effect of homeschooling. What about socialization? (laughs) (laughs) Something like something silly. And we had a kind of a knockdown drag out fight about how public school was good enough for me and there are good people in the public schools and my kids would be fine with public school. And, you know, we duped it out for a while and never really came to any conclusions. Fast forward about three years into our marriage, maybe a little more like four, I guess it was about four years. And my oldest was only two at the time. And I went to bed one evening equipped with some reading material and Adam said, what are you reading? And I said, oh, I'm just reading this article about different methods of homeschooling to figure out, you know, how we want to approach it. And he said, oh, so are we homeschooling then? And I said, well, I thought we decided that we were going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what changed my heart on that issue, but it was just like, it was a foregone conclusion because all of a sudden I had this child and homeschooling was not an idea. It wasn't a philosophy, you know, and this child was not an idea. He was a person with whom I had a connection and a relationship that was vitally important. And there was no way in the world I was going to put him on a school bus and send him to someone else every day to raise. So we've always homeschooled and I've always considered it a privilege. And it's not always been easy, but it's always been rewarding. Oh, that's a great story. And yeah, you know, I'm listening to you tell that story and I'm like, oh, I wonder what changed her mind. But I think it was that point, you know, very much the same point that I reached. It was like, oh, here's this little person. And do I want to raise them myself or do I want them to be gone from me for eight or nine hours a day? And that was, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And even, you know, as they grew, that feeling intensified. It's not like it was just the little person, but the person that they were becoming and watching their mind come alive to ideas, which was just sort of the best part. And every step along the way, we always said, well, we're going to reevaluate next year and see how it's going. And at every step, I thought, oh, I don't want to miss this part. You know, this is a really critical part of their education. It turns out all the parts are critical parts of their education. (laughs) It never ends. I was never willing to. Yes, it's true. It's just every stage is better than the one before. (laughs) Very much so. Well, let me start you off with a multiple choice question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Your homeschool day is most like which literary classic? Would it be A, Cheaper by the Dozen, B, Much Ado About Nothing, C, Around the World in 80 Days, or D, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? (laughs) 
I think it's a toss-up between A, cheaper by the dozen, and B, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> what makes you say that? <laughs> well, because cheaper by the dozen, I just think it's so full of real family life. You know, yeah. there's just organized chaos at best. People coming and going and everyone talking at once. And it's been like that over the years. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because I'm a sinner and so are they. And so at any given moment, you don't know which one you're going to get. <laughs> I can totally relate so to that one. <laughs> very much so. Well, yes. Missy, I know you guys are all about good books and great literature at your house. So I would really like to know, what is your favorite family read aloud ever? You know, I thought you might ask that question. And I did a little polling of the kids in the family and asked them, you know, over the years, the things that we've read, which did you enjoy the most in terms of read alouds? And these are the, the answers that I got. Um, a couple of them said The Hobbit. They really enjoyed reading The Hobbit aloud. A couple more said, no, they liked Nilm's Winnie the Pooh stories when I used to gather them up on my lap and read those to them. Jane Birdsall's The Penderwicks is a relatively new yes. book. And when we came across that, my daughter was doing the read-alouds with our family. And she is wonderful in terms of assuming voices and characters and all that sort of thing. And so a lot of people loved that. Uh, and finally, Great Expectations by Dickens. We really thoroughly enjoyed that one as well. So are any of those your particular favorite? Because I know from listening to the Center for Lit podcast that you guys do not always agree on books. There's a, <laughs> a big variety of opinions there. So which one was Missy's favorite? Which one was my favorite? I loved them all. If you were going to ask me my personal favorite, it probably would have been C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories. Mm. I tended to read them and weep periodically, because there's so much depth in those stories. There's his use of figurative language to depict the realities of the Christian experience, which is so profound that I had a hard time reading them aloud without shedding a tear every now and then because they just struck so close to home. Yeah, I agree. Well, could you tell me one thing that you learned while homeschooling that you didn't know before? Absolutely. Let's see here. Probably the thing that was least expected in homeschooling for me. I came into homeschooling, I think, thinking that it was about raising perfect people. It was like homeschooling was going to be like baking muffins. You follow the recipe and they turn out just right every time. Uniform, perfectly browned, you know what I mean? It's that mm -hmm. perfect rise. And I had some of the fundamental foundational ideas about raising children and educating them wrong from the start in thinking that the role of the parent and the educator is to produce perfect people. And if I'd stopped for half a minute, I would have realized that that didn't really jive with any of my understanding about human nature from the scriptures. But I really did. I, I looked around me and I saw other homeschool families that I respected. And I thought, oh, look how shiny and cleaned up and together that they all are. That's what I want my family to look like. That's what I want us to be. And lo and behold, in the day-to-day -day realities of homeschooling, what I discovered instead is that I'm a sinner, the children are sinners, and that perfection is not an option along the way. That really, the better thing is that homeschooling presents a perfect, safe environment to discover the kind of creatures that we all are together. Really, first to discover that we are creatures as opposed to little gods, 
that we are sinful creatures, and at the same time to discover that we're creatures that are both fully known and fully loved, and to communicate that to our children who are discovering that about themselves, you know, um, Mm -hmm. that the educational process is about equipping kids to live in the world and to have some knowledge of self and of others and to live in a graceful way in community. So yeah, that was unexpected. I thought it was going to be a lot more about pure academics and success in academia. And I found that it had a lot more to do about to do with grace for me personally. Yeah, that's awesome. I, you know, I know I was a much better parent and teacher before I actually became a parent and homeschooling teacher. So (laughs) (laughs) I think that's true for all of us. That kind of, you know, it's interesting because we tend to think, at least I tended to think that it's difficult being the homeschool teacher, the parent and the teacher simultaneously, and to not get some identity confusion, because Mm -hmm. we're all of us so tempted to get our identity from what we're doing. And the homeschool mother, what she's doing is she's educating her children. And so when her kids get an A, she gets an A, right? And when they get an F, she gets an F. It's so difficult not to base your identity on your performance and then pass off that kind of performancism on your children and teach them to base their identity on their performance instead of, you know, looking back to Christ and realizing that our identity is solely coming from his love and acceptance of us, that our value comes from him, not from the things that we do or the successes that we achieve. Those are activities and blessings, but they're not identities. And when we turn to them to be identities, they kind of turn into, well, they turn into idols and idols turn on us and consume us. So. You know, that has really been a learning curve in our household for me to discover that about myself and to kind of wrestle through those things and to arrive at homeschooling from grace, homeschooling from the perspective that perfection is not the goal, that actually coming to know ourselves and coming to know the Lord is really the goal of homeschooling. Right. Because if we keep that perfection as the goal, we're only going to end up failing miserably and beating ourselves up all the time. I mean, I think that's one of those places that burnout stems from and not even Mm -hmm. just the kind of burnout we might face when we're just, you know, it's February and we're tired. But I mean, you know, the kind of deep seated burnout that makes parents give up and send their kids back to school. Oh, absolutely. We create little L laws. I like to call them. um, Mm. And the law is really good at what it does. The law is designed to drive us to Christ. It actually kills us. (laughs) If we could live by the law, well, then Christ wouldn't have needed to come. Right. But it turns out we can't. The law is very effective. And that's true of the law of thought. It's also true of all the little L laws that we set up for ourselves in order to try to achieve some sort of righteousness. So the little L laws of being a great homeschool teacher or having you know, straight A kids or whatever those little L laws are, you know, that we erect for ourselves in order to try to establish ourselves as good people, you know, to get an A ourselves. Those things turn on us and devour us and rob us of our joy. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. Well, let's talk about this for just a second, because we've started talking about things that aren't perfect. So how would you fix a homeschool day in your house that has gone bad, that's gone off the rails? What would you do? Well, looking back, when my kids were little, 
the way that I used to fix homeschool days that went awry is I would bake cookies. I'd say, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to do math in the kitchen and we're going to bake cookies and learn about fractions. And then we're going to eat them while we are (laughs) gathered on the sofa together, reading a stack of our favorite picture books. And everybody would just kind of, you know, snuggle in close and we'd have some family time. That was then. And it seems like it was a lot easier then when the kids were little. It was a lot more work, much more labor intensive because everything that happened happened as a result of mom organizing it and pulling it off. But the kids were, I could corral them, you know. Um, Now they're all grown and they have minds of their own. And it's a lot more about relationship and interacting and communicating. And so when a homeschool day goes awry, it has a lot more emotional content than it did when the kids were little and it was just about misbehaving or failure to understand a concept or something like that. I think now it has a lot more to do with It looks like mom crying, sometimes the kid (laughs) crying, getting a grip and realizing that I was wrong or they were wrong and talking through, you know, whatever it is that that is the sin in the situation and repenting and then reconciling and forgiving one another and relaxing in the grace and the acceptance of God and, you know, sitting in our little quiet mess and praying that God's grace really will be sufficient in the long run to cover whatever the mess happens to be at that moment. (laughs) Do you think there's when they get older? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that it is. Do you think there's still a place for the cookie baking and the stack of books on the couch when they're older? Oh, most certainly. Most certainly. Sometimes we just have to go to our corners. You know, my daughter, she would do math and math was not her thing. We're kind of a right brain family. (laughs) And so when we attack the left brain subjects, it's very challenging to us, you know, and I can remember, you know, doing math with Megan and she would cry and I would cry. We would cry together (laughs) over the math. And, you know, it always did help to go make some cookies and to just spend some time together loving each other and remembering why we're doing all this to begin with. (laughs) You know, a lot of times I think there are so many tears in homeschooling because everyone cares so much that they do it right. Yes, yes, absolutely. There seems to be so much riding on it all the time, so much riding on your performance. And just to step back for a minute and remember that we're doing this because we love one another. Mm -hmm. And that's really the bottom line, you know? So I think letting the books go for a day every now and then and remembering the relationship that we have with one another, stepping back out of our teacher's shoes and just being mom for a minute Mm -hmm. is really healthy. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. If you had the use of a time machine for one day for a field trip, when and where do you and your children choose to go? You know, I thought about that. There are so many different time periods that are intriguing to me. But I think, honestly, I would want to go to the upper room after the resurrection. Mm. And I would want to stand next to Thomas. <laughs> I would want to stand next to Thomas. And I, want to, I would want to see Jesus, you know, with his loving eyes saying, put your hands here. I think that must have been a tremendous experience for Thomas to see that he was not left behind because of his doubts, but that the Lord loved him and sought him out and was going to do whatever it took to make him believe and to know him. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. I'm pretty sure when we wrote that question that that was not what we had in mind. Well, leave it to me to throw you for a loop. (laughs) It was a 
wonderful answer, but I'm thinking, oh, we're going to the Middle Ages or something. And Missy's like really profound. Uh, <laughs> but I love it. I love the message that that would send to your children to know that, you know, no matter what doubts you have, no matter what you do, as you get older and you get into your teen years, you start to struggle with these things. And I think so often we feel like it's bad or it's wrong, but, you know, really it's something God expects us to do and he's prepared for it. So just to have that kind of grace for that is so huge. Yeah. And just to, I mean, it could, if there's going to be anything transforming in your life, it, it must be the knowledge of the reality of the resurrected Lord, right? If anything is going to have the power to transform me in my sinful, doubting self, it's going to be the reality of Christ. So going to see the risen Christ, I think that would be, I can't imagine how transformative that would be. <laughs> right, right. I agree. Well, how and when did your own love of literature begin? You know, I grew up with a mother who was a literature and language arts teacher. And so she read to me when I was a child, and there were always books around. I can remember as like a fourth grader, her telling me Shakespeare storylines and saying, no, Shakespeare's not scary at all. Shakespeare's just like a soap opera, you know? And so when it came time to actually approach Shakespeare when I was older, I wasn't afraid of Shakespeare because I was already familiar with the storylines and it didn't seem so unapproachable to me. So I just, I kind of grew up surrounded by books and people that loved them. And I can't remember ever not being interested in literature or loving literature. Right. But I think my own love of literature grew when I was in college and began to understand the association of literature with worldview ideas. The idea that every individual, all good literature really connected with transcendent themes, the universal themes in literature are universal in that they span, they transcend space and time and cultures and things like that, and are really about the stuff of humanity. What is a man? What does it mean to be a man? What is good? What is evil? How do we deal with it? Why does it exist? What about pain and suffering? All of these kinds of questions that all men, regardless of their space and time, ask, that's the stuff of literature. And those are the places that we live. Our answers to those questions really inform who we are and how we approach our own lives. So asking those questions kind of self-consciously and then looking to hear other men's answers is number one, really helpful to me as I try to understand those answers and wrestle through them myself. But also it's helpful to me in that it gives me eyes to see other people. It helps me to understand where people are coming from, people in particular that might not share my worldview. I, through literature, am able to access their struggles, the kinds of questions that they're asking. And the reason that they answer those questions in particular ways it's an opportunity to kind of do comparative worldview analysis, you know, but not in the dry, just philosophical realm, but rather in story where everything's got flesh and blood, you know, mm. hanging on the ideas. Why do you think it's important for so, kids to kind of approach 
this study of these worldviews and these great ideas that you're talking about, these truths, through story and not some other way? That's a really good question. It's not that I think approaching them through philosophy or worldview curriculum is a bad idea. I do that as well. But if you only ever approach nihilism, for example, in the pages of a textbook, you don't understand necessarily the real life circumstances and questions and needs that drive an individual to nihilism. And, you know, Christians, we kind of, we believe that we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ, right? I think that sometimes in our eagerness to equip our kids so that they're not sucked in by faulty worldviews, we equip them with all the answers, but we never teach them to ask any of the questions. So they can come out as really pompous answer men, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're the guys, you know what I mean? There's yeah. like a lack of compassion. And I think literature really puts flesh and blood on those worldviews so that the kids, as they read, and we ourselves, as we read, are forced to ask the questions alongside those people. And as a result, the answer, Christ, becomes more vital and Simultaneously, we develop, I hope, a compassion and empathy for individuals that haven't yet found him, that don't yet know him. And so, can, we can be better ambassadors as a result. So basically, it allows us to see the humanness of somebody who holds a totally different view of what we hold. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the problem with Facebook. We fail to see the humanness of the people who hold a different view. Yes, I think that's really true. Yeah, yeah that, that's at least one of the problems with Facebook. <laughs> okay, yeah. There's a lot of problems with Facebook, but yeah. Sometimes it's that we... <laughs> yeah. That could be a yeah, whole other show. Create a little identity for ourselves that isn't very human either. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. But, you know, just thinking about kind of the world and the level it's gotten to in debate. And, you know, people fail to see the humanness of the person who's holding that other view. And so if literature is one of those things that could allow us to do that, then, hey, more books. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about Center for Lit and what you guys are doing over there to help equip homeschool families I know that sometimes, you know, I was an English literature major, and so I love to sit down and talk about a book with my child or another child. It's just a lot of fun for me. But I know sometimes that moms are a little intimidated by the whole process and all of the things that they're supposed to know in order to be able to do this well. So what are you guys doing at Center for Lit to help equip moms to feel more comfortable in this role? Well, you know, Center for Lit came to be because a friend of mine had a senior in high school. She was also a mother of six, and her oldest was a senior in high school. Her education was in nursing, so she was a really intelligent lady, but she hadn't gotten a literary education. But she knew literature was important. They were reading the classics, and she came to me one day and said something to the effect of, you know, I should... I know we should really be getting more out of our discussions about the books that we're reading besides, did you like it? (laughs) (laughs) I said, yeah, I think, I think so. I think that those classics will support a deeper conversation than that. And she's like, but I really, we can't get past, did you like it? And so can you help me? And at the time I still had a lot of little children and a basket of 
picture books, you know, by the fireplace. And I was just thinking hard about how can I give this person what I got through all of my years of studying literature, you know? I know she doesn't have time to go back to school. She's busy. She has six children. How can I give this to her in a nutshell? And the idea of approaching literary analysis through children's picture books just kind of dawned on me as I was reading aloud to my children. I thought, these picture books have all the parts of great story. You know, they're replete with literary devices. They're fabulous teaching tools. And they're one-sitting reads. They're totally approachable for everyone. Why not learn how stories hang together, learn the parts of story through simple children's picture books and have discussions about thematic ideas and in so doing, learn the kind of questions that you need to ask in order to approach the ideas within story and to fully enjoy them, artistically speaking, with these children's picture books. And So I invited that lady to come over to my house and she said, can I invite a friend? And pretty soon there were about 13 or 14 ladies in my living room. (laughs) And we read through Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. And every time we got together, I would read a children's picture book and we would talk about an element of story. And then we'd turn to To Kill a Mockingbird and say, now let's look, for example, at setting and this. And we'd ask the very same questions that we asked of, for example, Owl Moon in order to establish setting of Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. And lo and behold, they were the same questions that we were asking, but the more difficult, the deeper story just supported a deeper discussion of that element of story and gave, it basically yielded different answers, right? So pretty soon the ladies got really excited about this and we did this for probably five or six weeks. We got all done and I thought, well, that was fun and I guess that will die on my computer and those ladies were helped and hallelujah and I went on with my life. And I guess about a year or so afterwards, my husband, who was the headmaster of a little classical Christian school in the area, and I went to hear Andrew Poudoua. Mm-hmm. You guys might be familiar with, with oh, Andrew. Yes. He's just a wonderful man. He does the Excellence in Writing program. And while we were there together, he was actually looking at their writing program to use in the little day school that he was teaching in. And I was getting a little refresher course because I was using Andrew's writing program with my second grader. And I just, I watched my husband and pretty soon it became really apparent that he wasn't necessarily engaging with the subject matter. He was watching what Andrew was doing up there. And pretty soon he looked at me and he said, I think I'm supposed to do that. Mm. And I said, oh, you mean teach this program? He said, no, no, no. I think I'm supposed to do this. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And when the meeting was over, we went up to thank Andrew. And I said, you know, I would really love to get you and my husband in a room together to just talk. I think you'd have a lot to say to one another. And Andrew turned to me in all seriousness. And he said, yes, I think that too. Here's my phone number. Let's talk. (laughs) And it was just, it was just the, the Lord, you know. But yes, he was really gracious to us and he helped us get started in this. And as we were talking about what field, you know, that we really needed to get into, literature seemed the proper field because as I'd gone out and looked for helps in literature, I'd found things here and there. But in general, what I found were study guides Mm -hmm. and study guides are so useful. You know, it's not that they're not useful. It's just that If study guides are your only means of approaching literature, you've got a workbook approach as opposed to interaction with your child about the great ideas. 
And you need one for every single book you're ever going to study with your student. And that gets awfully expensive. You know, the children's literature guides usually culminated in some sort of a popsicle stick project at the end, which are really fun extension projects, but not necessarily so much about literature. So anyway, between what we'd done with the ladies, what I'd done with the ladies in my house earlier, and the things that I had been looking for where literature was concerned myself with my children and my husband's new awareness that this was the direction the Lord was taking him, Cinefilet was born. And we've been trying to equip parents to approach literary analysis as a natural extension of just asking questions about the things that they're reading, both the things that they're reading themselves and then helping their kids turn and develop a habit of mind of asking these simple questions. Who's the main character? What does he want? Why can't he have it, right? What are the obstacles in his way? And how does he resolve those problems? Do they resolve? And if so, why not? You know, and what kinds of big ideas is the author really talking about through shaping his story this way? Those are the questions that unlock literature for all of us. And that's really where the discussion about thematic ideas lies. Well, you know, what I love about the Center for Lit approach is the whole teach a man to fish philosophy. You know, you could have sat down and you could Mm -hmm. have written all of these literature guides and sold them, you know, kind of piecemeal on your site. But you instead took a different approach and you've taught the moms to fish. And in turn, you're teaching them to teach their children to fish as well. And so they're going to be able to approach any book anywhere and ask that series of questions in their head eventually and be able to, you know, pretty much understand and break down and analyze any piece of literature that they ever come across for the rest of their lives. Well, that is the hope. And, you know, we do produce teacher guides, we call them as opposed to, you know, study guides for the kids. They're basically cheat sheets for teachers to help them think through this process. And we have some aids and materials that we put together for moms, knowing that they're busy, you know, and that it's a little intimidating. It can be very intimidating making the leap from picture books to, you know, Dostoevsky. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> but really, it, it is the same series of questions. You know, you start with the same questions. They're just more questions because the literature supports deeper analysis and that it's not nothing to be intimidated by. It's really a delight. It's been such a privilege to get to watch moms who thought they couldn't have these conversations with their kids write in and say, we are doing this together and we're having such fantastic conversations about things that really matter in an uncontrived kind of a way. This has changed the way that my family interacts. Um, That is just, it's been so rewarding. Right, right. And it's such a great approach. I love, love the idea of starting with those children's stories that everyone can relate to and learning how to ask the questions there and then growing and building upon it as the literature gets a little more difficult and your child gets older. So it's wonderful. And are you ready for a little pop quiz? Sure. Okay. Pen or pencil? Pencil every time. Number two, Ticonderoga with a gigantic eraser. I love that you have specifics about your pencil. (laughs) Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Dishes or laundry? Dishes. Poem or short story? Poem. High tech or low tech? Definitely low tech. (laughs) Dystopia or fairy tale? Oh, probably fairy tale. I like to see the world through rose-colored glasses, I think. (laughs) Talker or listener? 
I wish I were a listener, but I'm afraid I talk way, way too much. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we were doing a podcast not too long ago, the subject of which was the most significant thing, most important thing about reading. And I was making the point that the most important thing about reading was listening, that reading was an act of active listening. And in order to do it, you needed to sit still and pay attention. And as I listened to myself in this podcast, just playing it back later, I had to laugh because I never stopped talking. (laughs) (laughs) There's a bit of irony there. (laughs) Oh, it was so ironic. I just, oh, it was a cringe moment. (laughs) Preschool or high school? Oh, that's an impossible choice. They're both wonderful. On the go or stay at home? Stay at home. Awesome. Yeah, I, I understand that. Stay at home. I'm going to ask you one more time. Where can people find you online? You can find us at www.centerforlit.com. And I hope you'll come visit us. All right. Well, thanks so much, Missy. And I am so glad that you joined us here today. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. This was really a wonderful time. And there you have it. If you would like links to the Center for Lit or any of the resources that Missy and I spoke about on the show today, including the Andrews family's favorite read-alouds, you can find those on the show notes for this episode at edsnapshots.com forward slash HSP34. Also, while you're there, if you would like to leave a rating or review for the Homeschool Snapshots podcast, We have some super easy instructions that will walk you through how to do exactly that. And for those of you who have already left ratings or reviews on iTunes for Homeschool Snapshots, we really do appreciate you doing that. The ratings and reviews you leave on iTunes help us get the word out about the podcast to other listeners. Well, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another great interview with a homeschooling mom. And until then, keep on homeschooling.